welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. I have not spoken here for a little while. Um, I was meant to be preaching last week, but Pete says stood in for me as a uh, result of trying to take it easy, having just had an operation on my hip, so I appreciate that, and, and both morning and night were outstanding messages, and it's so wonderful to be able to sit there on the front row and get blessed and fed, and I trust uh, I can return the favour to both Says and Pete this morning as I preach, but I'll be honest with you, I, I've really struggled in my preparing this week for the main reason I haven't spoken for a while, and so I'm in that season where everything I read becomes a message in my thinking. And so trying to prepare for this was really hard because just as I was trying to buckle down with one thought, I got more thoughts and, and I had stacks of thoughts. So I thought, this is ridiculous. I had to throw out all my thoughts and try and buckle down and develop one of those thoughts. Uh, and I want to do that this morning. Um, but in so doing, for those of you who are unfamiliar with what we've been doing over the last few weeks, or last few, feels like years, I'm sure, because uh, we're up to part 20 of our Rebels, Riots and Revolutions series, revolutionary. What is it? (laughs) Rebels, Riots and Revolutionaries series, which is simply a series whereby we've taken you through the book of Acts. It's an overview of the book of Acts. And as you can see already, it's taken a fair chunk of our time. And that's just to do an overview. If we did a line upon line, verse upon verse, exegetical approach to it, we would be here for months. We'd be here for years maybe even decades trying to get through the book of Acts. So what we thought we would do is take term two to go through the book of Acts. It's extended a little bit longer for the main reason we've had a number of keynote guest speakers come in. So this is the third to last message of this series. Okay, so I'm going to speak again tonight. Then we're going to have stock take Sunday next Sunday morning. And then I'm going to conclude this whole series next Sunday night. Okay, so to get straight into it, last week Pete shared from the book of Acts and he looked at promoting spiritual progress, moving on to maturity and he did a brilliant job as I've already mentioned and then says, speaking out of Acts 19, looked at the riot that took place in Ephesus and the main reason for the riot is because Paul was preaching a message and Paul is the main character of the book of Acts, at least the second half of the book of Acts. Paul is the main character. Okay, and uh, Paul went into the city of Ephesus and he started preaching against the foreign gods that were being advocated in this city of Ephesus. And because a great deal of money was being made through advocating these gods, um, the locals got upset, not so much with what Paul was saying, but because it was affecting business. That's basically what it was. And says, uh, so wonderfully talked about getting rid of the idols in your life. Paul was addressing idolatry and idol worship and says did a great job of highlighting though we may not have a golden calf or a big silver statue towards some unknown God we have different types of idols it could be our partner our wife or husband it could be our children it could be our home it could be our sport it could be that team that you go for that you love even if they're not doing too well like Port Power that was a bit of a joke wasn't it Um, mate they need our prayers Not that we're going to pray for them. (laughs) But they do need our prayers. So if 
If you want to be nicer than Jesus, you might want to offer your prayers to Port. I'm sure Jesus wouldn't waste his time praying for Port Adelaide. But anyway, (laughs) even though they need our prayers. And so, Paul moves from Ephesus after the riots, and he goes down toward Macedonia. He goes to Greece, Philippi, and Troas. And when he was in Troas, he... uh, Realized he was only going to be there, you know, for one night, and so he thought, I'm going to preach for a long time. And he was preaching for a long time, and there was one of the young men who got a little bit tired and, and, and maybe thought, you know, just to you know, get some fresh air, I'll go over to the window. And uh, he sits in the window trying to get a bit of fresh air because Paul was going on and on and on. Not that you know what that's like. I'd never go on and on and on. I'm very strict with my time. And uh, Paul was going on and on and on. And this guy, try as he might, the spirit was willing, but the flesh was weak. And he found himself nodding off. He went into a deep sleep. And he fell from the third story onto the ground and died. Paul, through his preaching, quite literally, bored this guy to death. (laughs) Paul runs downstairs, jumps on the guy, breathes life into him, prays for him. God supernaturally raises him to life. They bring him upstairs. Everyone's wide awake now. He preaches on till morning and everyone's comforted. And encouraged. This is the journey of Paul. He went to Tyre and then he went to Caesarea. And the purpose of this journey was to encourage the various churches that he'd visited previous. It was to finish taking up a collection for the needy believers in Jerusalem. And it was also to address an ever growing problem and the division between the far-right legalistic Jews and the believing Gentiles. And so Paul felt compelled to go to Jerusalem. He was so compelled, he knew like he knew like he knew that God had spoke to him about where he should go and what he should do. Here's the problem. Other people also felt like they'd heard from God about what Paul should do and where he should go. Paul was compelled by the Spirit, the Bible says, to go to Jerusalem. And there were these other people who felt compelled for him not to go. Isn't it amazing that God has a plan for our life and yet everyone else has a plan, uh, God has a purpose for our life and everyone else has a plan for it? You share your purpose, like, that's great, but you know, I, thought, I always thought you'd be a doctor. I always thought you'd be doing something else. Just, just calm down. Just don't be so radical. Your, your, your radical conversion's convicting me. Just calm down. And so here's Paul. He's, he's, he's convinced of his purpose. Some other people are also convinced. And herein lies the problem. Which brings me to my title of what I want to share. And that is simply this, hearing and responding to the word of God. We want to hear and respond to the Word of God. And I trust that this will be helpful for everyone in this room this morning. If you are a Christian, you need to hear and respond to the Word of God. If you're far from God, you're you're not a Christian. I want to encourage you to hear God and respond correctly. This is a message for everyone this morning. And so we want to read from Acts chapter 21. In the first few verses... 
verses 1 to 4 say, after we had torn ourselves away from them, in other words, they didn't want Paul to go, but he had to tear himself away from them, we set sail to Cos. The next day we went to Rhodes, and from there to Patara. We found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, went on board and set sail. After sighting Cyprus and passing to the south of it, we sailed onto Syrah. We landed in Tyre, where our ship was unloaded of its cargo. Finding the disciples there, we stayed there with them seven days. Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Paul's convinced, and they are just as convinced not to go. Paul's convinced to go. They are convinced you should not go. What do you do when someone's convinced that you should do the opposite of what you are convinced you should do? In Acts 21 verse 7, it says, We continued our voyage from Tyre and landed at Palmaeus, where they greeted the brothers and stayed there for a day. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven. Not seven dwarfs, seven deacons. All right. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. And I'm sure a woman that likes to prophesy would have told Paul what they felt God had for him. After they'd been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, The Holy Spirit says, In this way, the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I'm ready not only to be bound but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he would not be dissuaded, we came up and said, sorry, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. Here's Paul. He's become quite attached to the believers in the local churches that he was visiting. And it seemed that people did not want him to go to Jerusalem because of what might happen to him. Or more to the point, what would happen to him? And one prophet by the name of Agabus, everyone say Agabus. Maybe some of you young pregnant ladies, if you're looking for names. He grabs his belt. Sorry, Paul's belt. Easy. And he says, the owner of this belt, Paul's belt. And he he bound... His hands and his feet, which I'm not going to do. And he says, just as I've bound my hands, so too are the owner of this belt going to be bound and handed over to the Gentiles to be imprisoned and beaten, battered and bruised. I mean, it's, quite, it's a bit of a drama queen, the old Agabus. I mean, a few words would be nice, but this guy, he gets right into character. And all the other believers are looking around thinking, wow, that was a, quite a performance. 
I wouldn't have done it that way, but I, nonetheless, I feel the same way. And here's Agabus bound with Paul's belt, and all the other believers are saying, don't go, don't go. And Paul says, why are you breaking my heart? And he goes on to say, when he could not be dissuaded, they said, get this, let the Lord's will be done. And that's the point of everything I want to share this morning. Let the Lord's will be done. Not my will for my life and not your will for my life. Not your will for your life or not someone else's will for your life, but the Lord's will. That's the whole point and the whole purpose of us meeting together week after week is that the Lord's will would prevail through our lives. That we wouldn't allow our emotions and thoughts and everything else that gets in the way to steer us off course of God's will. Not even well-meaning Christians. And so when it comes to hearing the voice of God, firstly I want to say this, that I believe with all of my heart that God speaks today. And he speaks to us in many ways and says covered that in one of our uh, parts of this series. But just recapping very quickly, God speaks to us through his word, primarily through his word, the unchanging word of God. If you want to hear the voice of God, read the Bible. It's the primary way in which God speaks to us. God speaks through his word. He speaks through prophecy. In other words, God placing something on somebody's heart for another person. God speaks to us through us. That's what prophecy is. God speaking to us and then he speaks through us. God can speak through dreams. Dreams can have meanings. Not all of them, but some dreams can have meanings. God can use angels to speak to us. God can even use animals to speak to us. There's all kinds of ways which God wants to get our attention. For me, God speaks to me through watching movies. Have you ever been at the movies? I mean, I'm one of the most annoying guys to go to because as we're watching a film, I've got my phone on, I'm taking all these notes because I feel like God speaks to me through the illustrations that are coming at me in the movie. So God can speak to us in a myriad of ways. And that's awesome. But here's the thing. Hearing God's voice is one thing. Responding to God's voice is everything. How we respond is really important. You may feel that God has spoke to you about marrying a certain person. And that could be accurate. That could be true. That could be something of God's will for you to marry a certain person. But how you respond is all important. If you just run up to that person, for me, young lady, my wife, and I go up to her, I feel God's called me to marry you. It might be right, but I don't know how helpful that's going to be. And so how we respond to what we feel God is saying is really important. Our responses are vitally important. I want to look at a few responses this morning, and you can pitch it where you want for your own life. There's the emotional response. We see that with the way the disciples responded with Paul. Please don't go. But here's what you've got to understand about Christianity. Christianity is not about your comfort. It's not about your comfort. It's about your calling. And unfortunately... We have some Christians that are nicer than Jesus that are robbing people from the calling of God because they don't want to see somebody get hurt. 
And so as a result of not wanting to see somebody hurt, they say some things. Things that are unhelpful. You don't have to go to church because you don't want your family to suffer. As if in us saying come to church means we want your family to suffer. Come to church, may your family suffer. where Where did that notion get in our heads? We, we want you to come to church so that you can get what you need so that your family doesn't suffer. And maybe some things will need to go in order for you to get to church, but why should, to free our time up, why is it church is the first thing to go? And some well-meaning people based upon the Word of God and their emotional response to it say, well, God wouldn't want our family to suffer, so yeah, don't come to church so much. It's true God doesn't want our families to suffer. God doesn't want us to our marriage to end in divorce. That, that's true. But it is the response, the emotional one, that's just going to say, well, don't do this and don't do that. When in actual fact, it's church and it's his word and it's the help that we get within the church that can be the very thing that keeps our family together. So are we responding to the word of God in an emotional way? What about the unhelpful response? The unhelpful response is when you give information that's just not needed, it's not required, it's not being asked for. It causes people to worry. Information can cause people to worry. It never ceases to amaze me. Nearly every Christian that I've ever come across, sometime as I've got to know them, they ask this question, what do you think the will of God for my life is? Here's the answer to that question, you don't want to know. If you really knew the will of God for your life, it would cause you to worry. God lovingly doesn't give us all the information we need or we feel we need because he knows we'll just worry about it. If I knew at the age of 15 that I'd be starting a church at age 25, I'm telling you, I would, I would worry about that. I would not be happy about that. But God was going to do some things in the next 10 years to prepare me for it and ready myself for it. In the time of my life at 15, I wasn't ready for that. It was all about soccer. It was all about Manchester United. It was all about being a superstar on the soccer field. That was it. Pretty shallow, I know. But to say I'm going to start a church at 25, church? No, what? You don't want to know the will of God for your life like you think you do. It just causes people to worry. Some people come up to you and say, I had a dream last night and you was in a car crash. And? I know more, that's all I had. And just walk off. Right? And now you're in the car like, <laughs> was the dream from God? Was it pizza that they ate the night before? You ever had a late meal and it keeps you awake and you dream real weird things? If you're like me, if I get too hot in bed, <laughs> is that Liz Merger? She visits us after not being here for seven, eight, ten years, whatever it is, and she's interrupting. Well, you're so welcome. We love the fact that you're here. You're awesome. Anyways, to the more mature who never thought what's going through Liz's head. I've gone blank. I've just got... got, You've you've filled my head with images. It's just... When I'm hot in bed, I have the weirdest dreams. And I don't trust any of them. If I wake up like, what was all that about? I'm just hot. True, I'm hot. So it's, it's unhelpful. It's unhelpful for us if we get information we can't really do anything about. Even if it's true. What do you do? Not drive a car ever again? 
Not cross a road ever again. I mean, I mean how helpful is that, really? I had this dream he was in a car crash. Christians are all around the world. It's just unhelpful. The selfish response. Don't leave us. It's when we manipulate the word of God to suit us. Paul, don't go because we want you all to ourselves. Jesus had to deal with this. Jesus would get up early in the morning. He'd go to pray. And on one occasion, the disciples came. They found Jesus all by himself. They said, Jesus, everyone's looking for you. He said, so I'm going elsewhere. Not because he had an issue with the people that he had to leave, but because others needed what he had to offer. And as those of you would know who have been here a while, I'm not here every Sunday because there are others, believe it or not, who actually enjoy what I have to say and want what I have to give. And we have to be open-handed with what God has blessed us and given us in this church. And we get the selfish approach, you know, don't go. And we can justify it with scripture. We can justify it with what we feel. We can justify it with what we think. And there will be godly thoughts, but we've got to put those godly thoughts in context with other godly thoughts and get some balance in the middle. What about the immature response? And that's when the excitement of what you've seen and heard gets the better of you. I mean, I've been guilty of this. I mean, I'm sure you have, you know. But we're meant to move from this place into a mature place and get beyond just the excitement of what we heard. So many people just, just respond. I mean, probably one of the greatest examples of this in the Bible is Joseph. Joseph was that young man, 17 years of age, who had this incredible dream. And because of the environment of which he was growing up in, he had this dream that his, these sheaves of wheat, 11 of them, bowed down and worshipped his sheath of wheat. Here's the thing, he had 11 brothers. Basically, the dream was that his 11 brothers were going to bow down and worship him. P.S., he was the youngest one. No older brother wants to hear that. Joseph, being the youngest one, being spiritual but immature, allowed the excitement of this incredible dream to get the better of him. And he thought, my brothers are going to love to hear this. And so no sooner he got out of bed, he runs into his brother and says, guess what? I had a dream. And in that dream, you guys were bowing down and worshiping me. Isn't that awesome? God's good. Oh, it's good. I was like, good for you. And it says from that moment, they plotted to kill him. <laughs> Joseph definitely heard God, but he caused himself a lot of pain because of his immature response. We can be like that. We have some time with God. We hear from Him. And then we're quick to tell everyone about it. What about the obvious response? Where we just state the obvious. Every one of these prophetic words that came Paul's way were, you're going to be bound, imprisoned and treated badly. And Paul's like, I appreciate your concern, but tell me something I don't know. I mean, when you think about it, the accuracy of the prophecy isn't that overwhelming. When you think about Paul's life and all that he'd been through, 
All he'd been through was imprisonment, beatings, imprisonment, beatings, imprisonment, beatings. Now he gets this word, if you go to Jerusalem, you're going to be imprisoned and beaten. He's like, really? Why not tell me I'm going to be breathing and all the rest as well? You know, like... So there's the obvious response. And then there's the egotistical response. When you tell people what you've seen, heard, or read to make yourself look more spiritual, goes something like this. I had a word for you the other day. Emphasis, I. Christianity is about helping others. The emphasis with Christianity is you. Super spiritual, we make the emphasis I. I had a word for you. And we've got to be careful that we don't use what God gives us to lord it over those that we're supposedly trying to help. And in so doing, set ourselves up as the guru. You know, there's many times I get up here and I can share what I believe God gives me in such a way that builds you to me. And sets me up as the guru. And I believe, one, it's dishonouring to God, but two, it's unhelpful to you and me. If you're looking to me as your saviour, that's, that's unhelpful to everyone. And so I would much rather if I'm picking up something in God, is ask some questions of you to help you see something that you need to see as opposed to looking to me. But the egotistical person, the super spiritual person, doesn't understand that because they're not interested in that. They want it all to be about them. And so these are some of the responses, and to be honest, they're very unhelpful. What we're looking for is a mature response to hearing and responding to the word of God. And I believe one way that we can become more mature in hearing and responding to the word of God is a fewfold. And the first one is simply this, to meditate on what you hear, dream, see, or read. Don't tell, post, text, or tweet it. Keep your tweeting to yourself. Before what you hear, read, see, discern, can be any good to anyone else, you have to first know what it means for you. Can you imagine as a parent going to one of your children and saying, I need you to clean your room. They've heard from the father. Yeah? And then that person who I've spoken to specifically about them and their room goes off and tells their brothers and sisters. It's a kind of picture of church, hearing from the father and then speaking to our brothers and sisters. And they said, you need to clean your rooms. And me as the father said, I didn't say that. I said, you should clean your room. Don't tell, don't post, don't text, don't tweet. You obey the word of God. 
We do that, don't we? We hear a word and then we tell everyone else about it as if it couldn't have possibly been for me. And the only way we're going to know what's for us and what's for others, and even if it is for someone else, what we should do with that. Because you might hear something for somebody else, but to tell them could bring worry. Maybe God's told you something about someone else so you can pray about it, not tell them. But how will you know if you're just too busy texting straight away? Before you do anything, stop and think. Meditate. Take some time out and say, I've heard you, God, but I just don't know what it means. I don't know who it applies for. Hearing God 101, assume it's for you first. If it is for someone and you're convinced of that, then ask God what you should do with it. Because maybe, just maybe, you weren't meant to tell them. But you're meant to just pray for them. Imagine getting a word that you felt like something really bad was going to happen to somebody. And that's all you've got. You can't get any more clarity. And you go up to the person and say, Norm, I had this, I had this thought, man. I, I, I'm convinced God shared this with me for you. Somewhere soon, something really bad is going to happen. It's all I've got, but I, I hope that's helpful. <laughs> I've had people talk to me like that. And I, Thanks for nothing. <laughs> if, if I received that for Norm, I would say, Lord, I don't know what that means but I just pray for protection upon Norm. Which is far more helpful, I think, than me telling him something I can't... Just, you can actually create an accident. You can be driving a car, thinking about the word I've put in his head, Norm can be driving, and create an accident because he wasn't concentrating, have the accident, and then assume that that must be the thing God was talking about. No, the thing I was talking about is still coming. You just created that for yourself. The Bible talks about a little thing called the secret of the Lord. It says, if you learn to keep the secret of the Lord, he'll show you even greater things. If we can just hold on to some things, God will show us greater things. Because he'll know you can be trusted. He'll know that they actually want something to develop their relationship with me. It's not about boasting to their friends. It's not just about helping their friends. It's about something that will deepen our relationship. There's some things I have in my marriage with my wife, some advice I give her, some conversations we have, that I don't want to go further than just us two. Because it's something that's precious. There's other bit of advice I can give that will need to be helped the kids. There's others that will help her preach. There's others for other things. But there are some things... I just want to keep, be kept between us two. Because it, it's, it's the very thing that makes our relationship special. I have a bond with my wife that I have with no other person on the planet. And that's what makes it special. If I cheapen it by tweeting everything I ever say, every feeling I ever have, any encounter I ever have in the bedroom, whatever, and with everyone else, it's no longer special. But if there are some parts of me that I just reserve between me and God, 
hey, what did you read this morning? You know what? I had a great time with God this morning, but to be honest, that's all I'm going to say. If we don't deepen our relationship with God, we get religion. Christianity is a vital relationship with the living God. And it's why so many people who were once excited about things of God are no longer excited because they haven't deepened their relationship. Because they've cheapened it with superficiality and immaturity. Secondly, if you're confused and you've done the meditating, you're still not sure. The great thing about a local church, God gives you leadership. He gives you eldership. Not to control you. Not to dictate what you're allowed to do and not allowed to do, but as a safety net. It's God's intention that every child should grow up in a family. And it's God's intention that every Christian should grow up in a family, the church. Not to control you, not to own you, not to manipulate you, but to help you, to guide you. Lots of times when people come to me, I don't give them the answer, I just help them to think a bit deeper. So I'm not here to control you, I'm not here to brainwash you. We're here to say, have you thought of this? Have you thought of that? So when I say get perspective from the eldership, it's not a controlling, manipulative thing. It's a helpful, liberating safety thing but I realise for some of you who have been controlled and owned by your parents or don't have a good father figure that can be hard to understand and it's for that reason I say please God open the eyes of our heart to help us see what true fatherhood true parenting true eldership true leadership looks like and the last little thing is in the midst of meditating asking for perspective Third thing is simply this, when it comes to a mature response, continue to do the known will of God. So let's just say you've got this word, you're not quite sure who it's for, you're not quite sure what it means. Don't give up on doing what you should do. So don't sit at home when you should be at church trying to work it out. Don't not read the Bible again until you've worked it out. There should be some standards, there should be some things that are set. I believe the believer that loves Christ and is passionate about growing with Him should diarise where they'll be Sunday morning every week. It shouldn't be optional. Not because I say so, but because the Word of God says. Reading your Bible and washing your brains with God thoughts should be a priority. And let's be honest, if you're struggling with a thought, a dream, a vision, a word, and you stop reading the Word of God and get greater clarity, it's not going to get less complicated. It's going to get more complicated. So stick with what you know when there's something you don't know. Been leading this church for 18 years and there's been plenty of seasons in my life I didn't quite know the next step, didn't quite know the next thing, didn't quite know what to do with the next issue. There's always issues because people are here dealing with issues all the time. Issue here, issue there, issue, issue, issue. Always issues. And in the midst of not knowing the answers, I pick up my Bible. I get to church. I pray. I confide in those that are closest to me, my fears, my dreams, my concerns, my cares. Because that's what I know I should do. Stick with what you know when you're dealing with something you don't know. Tweet that. I've been getting all these tweets popping up, so someone can tweet that. When Paul could not be dissuaded, they gave up and said, let the Lord's will be done. 
they were worn out trying to push their will onto Paul. If you're a parent trying to push your will onto your kids, it's going to wear you out. If I try and push my will onto you, I'm going to wear myself out. My constant prayer is, God, may your will be done. May your will be done. Because it's in His will there is freedom. On the night Jesus was betrayed, He found himself in a garden. Interestingly enough, it was in a garden where everything went wrong. It was in a garden where Adam and Eve ate of that forbidden fruit. And from that moment on, the world was in decay and decline. The problem for humanity, original sin started in the garden. A few thousand years later, Jesus, the Son of God, God incarnate, God on earth, God in the flesh, is standing in a garden. And he's faced with his next step. What should I do? The extreme pressure of what he was about to face and do. He broke out in a sweat, but not just sweat like you and I, but this was droplets of blood. Such was the pressure that he was under. And he said this, in the midst of pressure, stress, he says, Father, if this cup can be removed from me, May it be so. Yet. Yet. And for every wind we ever have to God, for any uncertain comment we make toward God, there should be a yet, not my will, but yours be done. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen. And God bless.